Welcome to Into Theology. My name is Wyatt Graham, and I'm joined with Ian Clary, and we are, I guess it's our second podcast on Thomas Aquinas, but this is the first one where we're actually diving into the Summa of Thomas Aquinas, and we're using Peter Kreft, or Peter Kreft, however you say his name, we're using the Summa of the Summa um, to tackle this, because it's more manageable in terms of size, it's organized really well, and we'll use this book as kind of a reading plan as well. And today we're going to talk about the first question in the Summa, the nature and extent of sacred doctrine. Before we dive right into it, Ian, I thought you could maybe explain to all of our listeners how to read Thomas Aquinas in the Summa, because it's not, it's just an odd format for us. So maybe you could clarify how that actually works. Sure. Yeah. um, We're, you know, reading a text here that... (laughs) doesn't always seem to us at at first blush like an easy just sit down kind of read through kind of text uh you know we've done the institutes we've done confessions which are both just you just kind of start at the beginning and work your way through this is a bit of a different kind of book um there's a heavy dispute as to the nature of of what it actually is and what was thomas's point in writing the summa um is it just a theology manual is it something more i mean he gets into all sorts of things that you know, does a basic training in theology, you know, a theologian or master of theology, do they need to know all everything that he's dealing with in here? So it seems like he's going beyond just theology in certain aspects. And, uh, and he's following a methodology that in his day was pretty common. Um, we call it the scholastic method, uh, based upon wh- how, how the sciences were conducted in the medieval university, and even into the early modern period. And uh, and so when you first like it, you're like, I'm going to read the Summa. This is going to be awesome. And you crack it open. You're like, what the heck is going on here? You don't know exactly how to read it. And so but once you get the the kind of method down, it's so it's not only is it like it's easy. It's actually I mean, not easy in terms of content. I mean, some of the stuff he says is very profound, but the the the, the, the reading uh, style is easy. It's actually just really helpful and clear. Um the Summa is described as a, as a as a kind of summary or handbook of theology, uh, probably meant to train Dominicans uh, who were you know moving up in the order, in the uh, in that monastic order, and uh, and so he's addressing the questions of theology and um, and so the book itself is framed. I think there's like some 500 questions that he's addressing. It ha- it follows an order, starting as we are now with sacred doctrine, and then it's going to move all the way. I think. I think the end of it. I don't know what ours ends at. I think the main the main one ends what with, with uh, is it the is it the beatific vision? I can't remember. Um, well, they have like the additional ones are added after he died, and I think that's a lot of it's Christology and things like that. I can't remember offhand. Yeah, he. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting point too, right? Is that he had some sort of you know kind of a mystical type experience um, where he. Yeah, I don't know in terms of how many numbered questions there are off the top. Yeah, he was um, at a, a Billy Graham crusade and he had a moment a where he Graham walked crusade. where he walked forward. And <laughs> after that time he uh found that this kind of contemplative work was no longer useful. So he gave his life <laughs> to activity and to uh, everything is I have written as straw. <laughs> become a traveling evangelist for the crusades. Um I, I think one thing about his method too that's worth noting is that it is it's built in to be charitable. Because it asks a question, you know, know, whether God is simple. And then it gives all the possible alternatives. You know, God is complex or God is not simple. And it gives 
the best arguments against the view that Aquinas is about to hold. And then he says, on the contrary, he either cites a Bible verse or a theologian that most people say represents what the Bible says. So Augustine is, is typically the one who maybe he cites most, I think probably most commonly. Yeah, him or Aristotle. He'll he'll often cite the philosopher. Yes, but he'll cite someone who's viewed as having been thought about before and, and to, has, makes good sense. And then he'll give his own argument for what he believes, like God is simple. And at the end, he'll respond to each objection in a very straightforward, but I think fair and charitable way. And one thing that's useful about this is that you never get the feeling that he's like pulling something over your eyes. You never get the feeling yeah. that he's just hiding all the alternative views. You never get the feeling that he's hiding um, a strong alternative argument against what he's saying. You get the feeling at the end that he's thought about every angle and what he's giving to you is what Peter Kreeft or Kreft, what do you call him? You I think it's Kreeft. Kreft. I'm pretty Kreft? sure okay. I've heard Kreft, yeah. Um, he is giving, uh, Peter Kreft calls him the master of common sense. Yeah, I love it. And I, I think that's, when you read him, I always come away thinking, yeah, that just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or almost always. And it's not because, you know, uh, he's using like obscure language. He's just talking like a normie. So just for, just give you one example on Tuesday. I talked about uh, in a class I'm teaching uh, David Hume, Leibniz and some others and Immanuel Kant about how they know things. And at the end, you're like, this is so weird. Yeah. And then Thomas is just like, here's how you know things. Uh, table's real. You see it. Your your eyes see it. You can touch it. And then your mind's like, huh, I can think about a table. Yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you're like, oh, just it's like it's a common set. Like, it's the observation. And then if you want to know about other tables, your mind Kona says, can just think about it for a bit and abstract. There's other tables. And that's how you know. Yep. Whereas all these guys like Descartes, Rene Descartes and others are, are trying to like desperately figure out how you can know something. And they get locked in their own minds. And they, they try to think about how the real world's real. And it, you read it and it's very intelligent, very interesting. But at the end of the day, you, you get the feeling like they're not in the real world. Yeah. Because Thomas Aquinas describes that world. He's a realist. Yeah. And... He is the master of common sense. And once you get past some of his 13th century idioms, you realize that he's a normie. Yeah. Um, he's totally. not a weirdo. He's just like he's saying this is how things are. And yeah. sometimes it takes a bit for you to follow his train of thought. Then you realize, oh, yeah, that's how things are. And it's, it's that moment of re- I'll tell you from in my opinion, then I'll let you say something. Um, in my opinion, you know, someone's a genius when after they explain something, you're like, yeah, that's intuitive. That's common sense. That moment yeah. of illumination happens afterwards. You're like, now that I heard it, there's no other way to see it. Yeah. That's a genius because no, it, it, it connects. No, you're absolutely right. Um, that I mean, hence, you know, there's a book I think I recommend. We were, you know, we've done some of those book things. I did the um, Thomistic Common Sense by Garrett Goulagrange. That's it. Like, it's exactly as you're saying. And he's just he's just a, a great interpreter of, of Thomas. And uh, it is, it really is common sense. It's like, this is just stuff that we all know. It's why he starts off the Summa talking about wisdom. It's really just wisdom, right? It's, this is just God's world. He's made it this way. He's made the intellect such that we can know it. And when we actually do, you know, actually apply the mind to this reality, to the nature that God's made, 
everything just makes sense. You're like, oh, that's why it is the way that it is. This is great. And I have a reason. And what it does too, is it helps. I, I found like I've been teaching um, some aspects of Thomas's thought in Sunday school and in relation to kind of just the craziness of our culture and how things are going. And, and I, my basic point was, listen, guys, and I'm just talking to just the regular person in the pew. You're not crazy. Like this world is going crazy and what you believe and you just kind of know about things is just sane. And, you know, even though you might sometimes feel like you're going nuts, you're not because of common sense. It's interesting to me too, just in the history of philosophy, because, you know, in the, after you get Hume, then you have a response to him in Scotland with the Scottish common sense realists, but the Scottish common sense realists still buy into modern philosophical principles, right? Of voluntarism, and uh, um, nominalism. So they can't, like a Thomas Reed really is going to have a hard time really getting at a common sense that the Thomistic tradition has just always maintained and maintained well, you know? And um, it might so be find useful it... to clarify really quick. Common sense is common because it's accessible universally to human nature. Right. And sense because it's accessible through the sight, smell, touch, feel. Yeah. Whereas common sense today is usually like... um something that a society generates everyone kind of hears about you know if, if you work hard it pays off like something like yeah. that but common sense for for a guy like thomas is a is our universal truths that are common to all because we share the same human nature and we can access it through the senses and one yeah, thing what's, useful, um uh, garagou lagrange in that book refers to that perspective he calls it conceptual realism okay um, because you are, you're, you, you have to use your sense perception. I mean, as Thomas says, is going to say here, and well, I guess in our next lecture, he'll talk about, or our next recording, he'll talk about how, um, you know, you can only know God with effects. And so that's why you need sense perception, but sense perception actually then informs right. the ideas yep. that are in the mind, right? So you're actually accessing the world through senses, but you're also doing it through, with the intellect, right? Which is Aristotle too, so. So I have a question for you. I'm curious whether besides philosophy, any further doctrine is required. <laughs> well, let's like, let's think about it. Okay. So just as you were just to kind of follow on what you're saying a moment ago, I don't know if anybody can see this, right. But so it's, it's, it's framed here. Question one. So there's these series of questions. It gives you a title of what the question will be addressing. And then it'll give you kind of like a series of other questions, right. Uh, per, so like 1.1 1. 1, as it were. So question one actually has 10 questions to it. Uh, and so then you get to the first one. It's described as an article. The first article. Each article we'll is ask, a sub question of the main question. We'll, we'll, we'll ask and once you question. answer all those sub questions, the major questions answered. Right. And so then he'll give you objection one. And as you say, this is it is one of the beautiful parts of of this is that it shows that he knows his stuff too. I mean, because there's a lot of times you'll read one of these objections that he's aware of. He's that he's being very honest and telling us about. And you'll read the objection to think. Yeah, that's what I believe. Like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, well, well I've never done that. Like? Actually, you must oh, have a yeah, serious, <laughs> you must have a serious intellectual flaws. Serious for flaw. me. Um, but and then he'll he'll then have reply to objection one and you can jump to it and say, oh, oh, that's why that view's wrong. Okay. Um, or it's not even necessarily that the view's wrong. It's just not right in that particular question. And so He'll give you the various objections. And Peter Kreeft's uh, book, what I like about it is he he won't get into the weeds. So he'll give you the ones. Hold that on. I said really Kreeft. Then you said it was Kraft. And now you're saying, what How? What did you do? We're pronouncing it Kraft. three different words. No, no you said, said something Kraft. else. 
It was like craft or something like <laughs> what that. What we need to do is get him on here and we'll ask him. Well, how do you say <laughs> we have like a profound thinker on our podcast, but the only thing we're really curious about is how do you say your last name? Is it like craft dinner? Like <laughs> and it's like Okay, uh, okay, now we're going to go we back to Ian and I's podcast. You're out of here. We just didn't know how to say your name. <laughs> He's just like, what are you doing? This 92-year-old guy that we get on who's like a genius. Okay, anyways, I'm really excited for that podcast. Yeah, right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually replay a clip of this when he's on here live. Um, <laughs> so then, yeah, he gives the on the contrary, the said contra, and then his respondio. And if, so sometimes, like, if I need to know something, like, quick, you know, I'll just, like, flip to the relevant question and i'll just jump to his i answer that just to see what he says and um the thing about thomas he's called the common doctor and uh as well as the angelic doctor but he's the common doctor in the sense like kind of what you're saying it's like this what he's saying is just he's talking about these things that are common to all of us okay explain so, the word doctor because uh so a doctor not a church, physician not a physician no uh, and not even like a phd um so doctor right? means so, teacher yeah, so you and I have PhDs, we're doctors, but we're not doctors of the church, right? Like, it's a status that you attain to um, that's usually recognized a lot of times, like, after after you're dead. Uh, so, Dr. Grazi, and you get a title with it, too, you know, like, uh, so Augustine's the Doctor of Grace, Dr. Grazie. Uh, the Seraphic Doctor would be uh, Bonaventure, and here you have Thomas, uh, he is the, um, angelic. the angelic doctor. Uh, also the common doctor, uh, you get Scotus, who's the um, subtle doctor, I think, right? Dr. Dr. Subtly. Yeah. And so um, so you get these these kinds of names that sort of like are descriptive of, of aspects of your thought, like the, you know, the seraphic doctor Bonaventure okay, so, makes sense. But Latin, he's, he's the actually Latin using the seraphs. Is well, seraphs yeah. This is cool. The seraphic doctor for Bonaventure is cool because he's using the seraphs and the wings of the seraphs. Mm -hmm. As part of his journey, the soul to his structure God. of thinking about yeah. spirituality. So it yeah. makes sense, right? Um, um, but just to make it real, like base and simple, a base. doctor in Latin. Don't say is, the word base. I hate the word base. <laughs> Aquinas base, is based. based. I know you didn't use it in that sentence, but now I hear uh, it. <laughs> so, doctor is a Latin word that just means teacher. Yep. And he's the angelic doctor. He's a common doctor. He's someone who can teach about universal principles. That are common to all because we all share a common nature that's comprised of an intellect that can think, a will that can desire intellectually, and the senses that can hear sounds and read words. Mm -hmm. So he's someone who can communicate to everyone because he's a teacher and he's been recognized as a teacher for, well, actually, I don't know when he was called a doctor, first of all, but roughly for 800 yeah. years, he's been a published person who has been read and valued by all sorts of people across the world and it's interesting his first question i think is really valuable just to note well it relates exactly to or the this, first right? article rather his 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 on his answer is um anything other than natural thinking required and his first on the contrary his first answer is to cite the bible mm -hmm. and he cites second timothy three sixteen, and he says it is written all scripture Inspired of God is profitable to teach, to reprove, to correct, to instruct in justice. Now, scripture inspired of God is no part of philosophical science, which has been built up by human reason. Therefore, it is useful that besides philosophical science, there should be other knowledge that is inspired of God. And then he says, I answer, I won't read the whole thing, but this, this part, 
I answer that it was necessary for man's salvation that there should be a knowledge revealed by God, besides philosophical science built up by human reason. So what he's saying there, it's um, God-inspired scripture. He calls it revelation or it's revealed by God. And it's necessary for salvation. So he's saying the philosophical knowledge is like, can you understand that the sun and moon are objects in the sky? Can you understand algebra, mathematics? Can you understand, can you you understand even that God exists, right? Can you understand actually... that God exists, like Romans yeah. one nineteen or whatever says. And all those things are clearly possible because we have running water and sewage systems and mathematics and science. Pretty much everyone has a sense, as Calvin said, a sense of divinity in them. They know that God exists. But... It's necessary for salvation for God to reveal certain things to us, apart from which we wouldn't understand what was necessary for salvation. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's what's interesting to me, right? So he's gonna he's gonna call it a science, right? In the second article, whether whether okay, sacred why why a science? You explain well, that really quick. And it goes right to what we were what you're just saying here, too, in terms of this because so a science, right? Scientia is just a is a, a knowledge of the word scientia just means to know to 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 know or i know and uh, he's going to talk about in the second article where there's two types of sciences um and he's going to argue that sacred doctrine which we would call theology today although it's not just like any theology like for him it's like it's the theology that's been handed down through the church that he's basically just summarizing and so it's not like any you know anything that a christian happens to say right or wrong is considered a, a theology or, or a science and so it's based upon things like first principles and that you have methods that you would employ to know this science. And or they, just pause there for one second and then continue. So in the old fashioned sense, science essentially assumed that there are, it can be something can be a science if there are basic first principles from mm -hmm. what you reason. Yes. So a first principle of the science of theology might be God exists, Right. And then from God existing, you could say, if God exists, he created everything. It's yeah, a, usually, usually when conducting a science, uh, you would actually, the first step would actually be to ex express the existence of a thing. That's why he does the five ways right off the top, because when you're doing a science, so if you can do a science of God, you're getting knowledge of God, well, then you establish his existence, not because you doubt it. Right. It's just that that's what you do for everything. You just establish here's this what is here's this thing that exists. I well, know it's that showing it exists, that it's a science, and then here's what it is, and because, so that's why he goes immediately right. into the attributes of God. And this might be illuminating just to make the contrast is that science today typically means you observe things that are repeatable, and then you make conclusions based yeah, upon what method. you've seen repeatable. Science in the old-fashioned way was if something is a science that has a, has first principles that you can understand that are reducible to simple truths. And from there you can make uh, conclusions. Just for example, for law, a first principle of law could be um, thou shall not murder. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, from that law. first principle of science, that scientific first principle, you infer, well, you should also not hire somebody to kill someone else, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, when Thomas does this thing on the existence of God, it's not because he doubts God exists. That's not the point. He's demonstrating the, a first principle because theology for him, it's a science. And then he also says it's speculative. Then he also says it's um, wisdom. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, 
it's not just a science, but a science is really simply something that has a first principle on the basis of what you can infer further conclusions. Yeah. In the Westminster Confession, you talk about scripture and then go to necessary consequences. So in this case, you could say that scripture is the first principle, just to give an example. And the necessary consequences from what scripture says are like the further ones. I mean, that's not perfect, but just to make it kind of like a dumb guy version. Yeah, and there's a connect, there's a connectedness to all of this, right? Um, it's it's great. Like what, he, what he's saying here as a science is that it's something that can be knowable. It can't be known by human reason is what he's going to argue here, right? We can apply human reason to reality to know these various things, even that God himself exists. But as theology is a sacred doctrine or it's a sacred science. Mm-hmm. It's not grounded in 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 these things primarily. It's in it's grounded in the inspiration that come of the scriptures that comes by way of of God Himself. And the reason for it is that it's necessary for salvation, right? So he's not. This isn't mere philosophical speculation here. Is he's going to say right after he says, in, uh, firstly, indeed, because man is directed to God as to an end that surpasses the grasp of reason. So we're we're directed. There's a there's a, a telos uh, to the human uh, in the soul that is oriented mm-hmm. towards God, and to actually attain that end is to require to be saved because of our sin condition. And so, therefore, this sacred doctrine is necessary because human reason by itself, unaided natural reason, won't bring us there. We need super something supernatural that's going to bring us to that end, which tells a, you that all of this is grace, right? It's all grace. I have a clarifying question I want to ask you. So what's confusing to me is that he opens up by quoting 2 Timothy 3.16 and says that we need the Bible and this scripture that's inspired of God is no part of philosophical science and it's necessary for salvation. But Thomas Aquinas is known for reason alone and not using the Bible and saying that based upon our own brains, we can elevate ourselves to God apart from scripture. But the first thing he says is completely the opposite of what I know to be true and everyone knows to be true. (laughs) Why, why is he wrong in the words that he says explicitly? And why am I right by affirming something that he doesn't say, but everyone thinks is correct? I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know what to say to that. Because when you hear people say things as 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 crazy as, as something that's just so all you have to do is just open the page of a book and just read him say exactly the opposite of what all these people, these so-called reformed Christians accuse him of doing of unaided reason. What does he start with? The, the funny thing is, is like he assumes before he establishes the veracity of, of scripture, what does he assume about it? It's true. It's authoritative. His first, as you noted, his first said contrary, his first on the contrary, is a scripture text. He's not the first a time he gives his own view. The first time he gives, it's like he's making an appeal to scripture. You could almost say he is assuming or presupposing the authority of scripture before he even demonstrates it. And the second thing he does is cite the Bible again, Isaiah sixty six four. The eye hath not seen, O God, besides thee, what things thou hast prepared for them that wait for thee. And then he says, but the end must first be known by men who are who direct, who are to direct their thoughts and actions to the end hence it was necessary for salva- for the salvation of man that certain truths which exceed human reason should be made known to him by divine revelation and and it might be really just quickly necessary to read what he says at the very end about the authority of scripture and whether it can err so for example on page 47 which is the end of the 8th article so 1 1 
8. Mm-hmm. He says that in that full paragraph, nevertheless, sacred doctrine, by which he means the revelation of God in Scripture, makes use of these authorities as extrinsic and probable arguments. So, namely, the uh, philosophers. But properly uses yeah. the authority of the canonical scriptures as an incontrovertible proof. And the authorities of the doctors of the church as one that may properly be used, yet merely as probable. For Doesn't our that faith, just sound like a Protestant view of sola scriptura right there? For our faith rests upon the revelation made to the apostles and prophets who wrote the canonical books and not on the revelations, if any such there are, made to to other doctors. Hence, Augustine says, Only those books of scripture which are called canonical have I learned to hold in such honor as to believe their authors have not erred in any way in writing them. But other authors I so read as not to deem anything in their works to be true, merely on account of their having so thought and written, whatever may have been their holiness in learning. So he cites Augustine saying, this is what I believe too. And it's worth mentioning that he, this first question, the first article, the first thing that he positively says is all scripture is inspired. Second thing he says on the basis of scripture, Isaiah, there are certain truths that transcend human reason. God must reveal to us for our salvation. And then near the end of this question, he says, uh, we, there are probable authorities. Of course, that's why we read Augustine. Of course. And yet the only the only sure foundation to build sacred dogma, doctrine, is scripture. And he cites Augustine to explain this is because scripture doesn't err in what it affirms. <laughs> it's like, you're like I mean, you want to actually take quotes like this and just read them out loud to somebody who challenges mm-hmm. the idea of these sorts of ideas and says, Who said this? Oh, it must be B.B. Warfield, the great, you know, defender of what we would describe today as inerrancy. Now it was Thomas Aquinas. Now, I, I do want to uh, note before we finish, I think we're probably only going to finish. I know, we hardly even but that's why. Article one, because we're introducing this is, as well. Let me just say, throw this out here. Yeah. Like, this is a John Boyle, and it's got endorsements on the back of this from people like Van Hooser and Michael Allen. Uh, Aquinas on scripture, a primer. Man, like, if you want to dig into into his views of scripture, get this. It's a, it's a little book. I just started reading it, and it's, it's clear and helpful. Well, I, I would say... When you read, so in to understand Aquinas, you got to read from the end to the beginning. But this persistent scripture emphasis is everywhere. Pointedly, like um, the first full books of Aquinas I read were his commentaries on Galatians and Ephesians. If I remember, yeah, I've correctly. got I've got his uh, three volume John commentary up there. Yeah. I have his Isaiah. I mean, it's so good. They're, um, so he's a, he's a Bible guy and a Bible teacher, but his, he was a preacher like that. Like one of the, right. the, the what he taught in the, the Dominican studio, right? He was a staff like the Dominicans. What are they? OP order of preachers. <laughs> and he taught one of his like favorite courses to teach was homiletics. They're preaching. also OP overpowered because they have Thomas Aquinas. That's right. So we need to we need to rebuild up the Protestant uh, phalanx. Um um, okay, but I want to note before we finish that he does make comments that someone could read and say, how does this work? So on page 37, on article one, of question one of book one, uh, he says, even as regards those truths about God, which human reason could have discovered. So hypothetically, human reason, reason could have discovered something. It was necessary that man should be taught by a divine revelation. Because the truth about God, such as reason could discover, would only be known by a few. So he's saying, hypothetically, some people could know. 
Yeah, the smart and people could know this. Maybe. That after a long time, like 60 years of life, and with admixture of many errors, you could never know it perfectly. Right. You could know something, but even if that's hypothetically true, and I think what he's trying to do, when I read him here, it sounds to me, and it's very clear as you read through his whole thing, what he's saying is, I don't know if this is impossible. Hypothetically, it could be true that someone with many errors could know a lot about the truth and could know a lot about salvation. Still be error-filled, but they could know a lot. Yep. But it would be so hard, so difficult that for and God so to do this, there'd be no you. mercy, there'd be no grace. It wouldn't make any right. sense. And then he goes on to say, whereas man's whole salvation, which is in God, depends upon the knowledge of this truth. So some could kind of know about with errors, but our whole salvation's it's required it's on basis of the truth of the revelation of God. Therefore, in order that salvation of man might be brought about more fitly and more surely, it was necessary that they should be taught divine truths by divine revelation. It was therefore necessary that, besides philosophical science built up by reason, there should be sacred science learned through revelation. Now, some people kind of read that and be like, see, he says it's hypothetically possible for, for like a few people, <laughs> maybe with lots of errors to kind of know things. And but it, but he's using this as an example to prove that God needed it was necessary for God to reveal things according to scripture to, to us. Yeah. So it's like so that everybody has the the the, the so that yeah. can, it doesn't matter if if you're intelligent if you're a philosopher it doesn't matter because God even just says even if you're like you. an OG genius you're gonna have lots of errors. Like his whole point is he's given a hypothetical to show even the smartest person in the world will have errors. Yeah. Therefore, it's necessary for God to reveal his truths in Scripture because that's what's for salvation. And I've seen someone cite this and they're like, "See," and you're like. My bro, this is an argument for the opposite point. Like, as I say, think about it now, it's like you, he's wholly arguing for the necessity. And he says necessary, necessary, necessary over and over that Holy Scripture might be delivered unto us for our salvation. Yeah. And you're going to like cite half of a sentence that's this hypothetical alternative in order to prove a point that he doesn't say, nor hints at, never, yeah. that somehow by reason alone, apart from Scripture, he thinks salvation can occur like you're mental. And by the way, like um, <laughs> it's not. I mean, if you want to get into this, Ulrich Zwingli thought that Plato was in heaven. Right. So like yeah. you got to just realize you've got to be less stupid than you are when you talk out loud. And I think most of us should learn that lesson. Be that more smart and be less stupid. Mm -hmm. And uh, the criticisms of Aquinas are often very stupid. And therefore, they're often unanswerable it's because you should not easily, easily dealt with. It's just like, well, don't, dude, don't, yeah, you don't read or you don't answer a fool according to his folly. That's the, that's and the it's, it's so silly to me. And people are so led astray on this. So they miss, some. I mean, John Calvin says in book, I think it's book two, 12, two. I don't know why I know that offhand, but he says, <laughs> he says something like, to the effect of, look, God's Holy Spirit inspires non-salvifically the arts, the sciences, and the philosophers. And if you don't read them, if you don't read them, you're going to be paid, you're going to receive the reward of your sloth. Yeah. Namely, stupidity. And so John Calvin, Mr. Original Sin, Mr. Total Depravity, is like, God sometimes inspires a heroic nature in leaders. And other times, his spirit comes, and in a general sense, inspires, not the salvific sense. He, he gives beauty, glimpses of beauty to the arts and to the sciences yeah. and to the philosophers. And if you don't read them, you'll be dumber. It's like yeah. if I wanted to like succeed in life, but I never learned business principles because I'd be like, the Bible doesn't give me business principles. And you're like, well, how are you going to run a business? And you're like, I don't need to.
Okay. Well, it's, and it's, it, it goes back to Augustine's idea uh, in, I think it's in on Christian teaching. Um, it's just like, it's the idea of like uh, the, uh, the analogy of Israel, you know, pillaging the Egyptians on their way out. You know, you can take the, and there the, these, these artifacts and, and whatnot are used in the temple for God's, you know, worship. It's like, you can pillage the Egyptians. Why can't we do the same? Why is it wrong? If Aristotle says something right, why is it wrong to agree with him? Right. Um, you know, and, and that's all that you'll see. We'll see this, right. We'll see Thomas. Thomas has limits here. Like he's, 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 he's already articulating what these limits are in terms of just pure reason or philosophy. Um, but you'll, you actually see it in the debates that he gets into at the university of Paris over the eternal universe. He's going to say that, you know, philosophically speaking, the universe could be eternal and, and still have an unmoved mover. It's just a kind of an eternal relation, similar to like the idea of the eternal generation of the sun. There's like the sun's source is the father eternally. Well, the universe could have an eternal source, which would be the unmoved mover. But then he'll say, but we know from scripture, hello, Genesis 1, hello, uh, yeah. Hebrews 11, that the universe actually has a finite starting point. It was created out of nothing. And so he's like, yeah, reason could maybe get you there, but we know it's not true. And you're like, oh, okay, thanks, Thomas. Like, you actually right. do believe in the authority of Scripture. And as you noted, he's not only a teacher of preachers, but he's also teaching preachers how to counsel people in the church or in whatever ecclesial setting. He was himself a priest. He was a right. priest, you know. He, he, like his one of his one of his main jobs was he was setting up study houses for his 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 order. <laughs> you know, in Cologne and Paris and Italy and things like that. Like yeah. he cares about the church. He cares about exegesis. He cares about, Oh, we didn't even get into like the fourfold sense of scripture. <laughs> no, I think, just, yeah, I think we're going to have to do like two or three episodes on question. Cause question one, it's so foundational. It's so found. It's look, he opens a summa with the authority and inspiration of scripture and says that scripture is the basis of sacred doctrine. And the rest of the book, in many ways, is expanding what the sacred doctrine looks like. And he uses the authority of the philosophers as probable authorities. So therefore, they're, they are an authority. They, they are yeah, an authority. Subordinate to scripture. But they're subordinate to scripture. In fact, he calls them, uh, I can't remember the article offhand, he calls them a handmaiden to scripture. I guess scripture is the queen. I don't know if how that works, but he's he's actually interestingly he cites Proverbs nine, which we just talked about, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because wisdom actually in Proverbs nine sends out handmaidens to uh, draw people to herself. Um. Anyways, I I think we could. Do you have any? We could maybe stop here because I think we, we said because in all honesty, topic. we could actually just we could just keep going and we just need to stop. Right. Just like do it again. Well, we, basically, this is Aquinas on the authority and inspiration of scripture and common sense and, and, and common like sense. What you yeah. said there was absolutely like absolutely bang on. And uh, it, it is a common sense. Well, I tell you, I just to repeat, like just talking about how Descartes and Kant and Leibniz and others, um, David Hume, try to figure out how you can know stuff. At the end of it, you're just like, but Thomas is like, things are already real. <laughs> And yeah. you just know them by seeing them or touching them. And then your mind's like, huh, that's a thingus. And I can compare them to other things. And now I know what they are. And you're yeah. Like, yeah, that's how we all work. <laughs> <laughs> all these guys are like just struggling to prove that they could be certain about th the world. And Thomas is like, well, yeah, it's right there. God made it. Yeah. And it's so refreshing sometimes to see that because you know that most people work that way, actually. The average person anyway. Yeah, um, that... Sometimes there's 
there's thinkers and all that. So, okay, let's stop. It's, there. it's, it's funny. It's usually the philosopher that screws it up, screws it up. Like I, I said it in that Sunday school, I'm like, listen, when you're talking to some old farmer out by his farm equipment in the middle of the field, right. you're just talking about the way things are in the world. He is a much better philosopher than some guy in an ivory tower in a research university. Thomas Aquinas is a farmer that speaks in an intellectual idiom. I think that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the two things that are important is Thomas Aquinas is, is a farmer and that he got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. Those will probably <laughs> be the two things that are most memorable about this. And, oh, he's a great, he's a great Protestant reformer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even though he lived in 1200. Okay. That was a good, let's end it here. <laughs>